course of Jesus Christ. So we want to just take and have a moment and read the text, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the birth of Christ. The Bible says in Luke 2, in verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus, and that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made in Cyrenius, when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his spouse wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, that the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there, uh, and, th- and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and, there were, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you th- is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, and ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, uh, highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. How many of you have heard that story before? Yeah. You know what? That's history, too. That's a true story. And uh, I want to just share with you a couple things about the birth of Christ and I want to use this object lesson, candy cane. How many of you like candy canes? Any of you? Okay, well, good. If we pay attention, you might get one after this is done. So this will just take a few more seconds. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this candy cane. Because this passage is a very special passage. It talks about Mary giving birth to Jesus. And Jesus was God, of course. And he lived a sinless life and he died on the cross. You got a question, Eli? Yeah. Man, you could teach this lesson. Good job, Eli. Give him some love. Oh, you got another one? You going to tell me about this? Yeah, and wood. And the wood means the blood Jesus when he died. Yeah. All right. Well, what's the white mean? Yeah. Um, he's pure. He's pure, right. So that's very good. You know what the Bible says? That, yeah, guys, that's the lesson. <laughs> So the blood, you guys have learned your lessons about the candy cane. So it's like a shepherd's staff. It makes a J like Jesus. And it's, you know what the Bible says? That we were cleansed by the blood of the lamb. Jesus was our sacrificial lamb. And he came to die in our place on the cross. And he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And the Bible says he's alive right now. He's alive right now. And he knows everything about what we're doing. And he loves us. And because of his death on the cross and his sacrifice for us, Jesus makes us whiter than snow. It says that in the book of uh, <clears throat> the book of Isaiah. So, guys, you've already got all of this information. But let me ask you one more question: When the angel came to Mary, where what did she do with the information that God gave her? Do you guys know? It says she pondered it, and she pondered it specifically somewhere. Do you know where she pondered it? Where she thought about it? Yeah, in her heart. That's right. That's right. He, she pondered it in her heart. And so, you know what? I'm so thankful that you guys have this information in your head. And I also pray that it's in your heart. And, and I thank you guys for the time. You've been so good. You know what? Miss Amy's going to meet you in the hallway. 
And she's going to give you guys one of these. I bet you want this, don't you? What you're going to have to do is follow Mr. Mitch right out that door, and they will they will get you one. Thank you. God bless you guys. <laughs> All right. Well, as they're uh, getting everything together, we will transition. You guys did a great job. Good job. He's like, hey, where did that thing go? I want that. I want that candy cane. Hey, Lance, could you grab me a bo- that bottle? Uh, if uh, it's go- it's this way, it's this way, buddy. So <laughs> he's like, you preachers, quit making promises you can't keep. But, uh, I promise, it's out there. It really is. All right. Well, God bless you. This has already been good. If we said amen and went home, it'd be a good morning, wouldn't it? Amen. That's just precious watching those kids. And and, and I really also praise God for the, the investment of our teachers and uh, and the parents, obviously, investing in your children and uh, and teaching them the word of God, teaching them about Jesus. I was just uh, sharing with my daughter on the way over this morning um, kind of how my, my understanding of Christmas and things as a kid and um, I didn't have the benefit of uh, a church like this growing up and so I'm really I think it's really special uh, and I'm glad we could take a minute and just bring the kids in and and focus on on you know what they're understanding and learning about the gospel about the about Christmas and the gift of Christmas so we've been talking about remembering Christ this Christmas and that's been our theme the last three weeks this is the last <clears throat> the, the last sermon in the series and uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 9. We're going to be back in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9 and, and verse 6. And we're going to read again the text from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. A familiar passage. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Thank you for your patience with me. As you can tell, I'm up here getting oriented myself and uh, getting things in order. <clears throat> The text says there in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for what we've sang, what we've heard sung, what we've seen with our eyes with these children. Uh, Lord, we thankful, we're thankful for how precious children are, and we think about how God of the universe, the awesome God, humbled himself and, and uh, became a, a human uh, and, and all of the, with all of the uh, limitations. Lord, he made himself lower than the angels so he could suffer death for men. And uh, became a child and went through the whole process just like any one of us would do and identified with us in every way and even became sin for us. Lord, we're so thankful for the gift that comes through Jesus Christ, the gift of eternal life. We're thankful that Jesus Christ is now exalted and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And Lord, we pray this morning as we consider what we've read here in Isaiah chapter 9, that uh, not only did a child come, not only was a son given, but Lord, uh, you are an absolute authority. You are the authority. And uh, at Christmas time, we often uh, don't think much about that, even though we have the story of the 
and the account of the wise men that came from the east and, and how Herod responded and all of those things. Lord, help us really grasp the magnitude of who you are. We're thankful for the reality of Christ this Christmas, and we pray, God, that you just bless the reading, the hearing, and the application of your word. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So this last uh, sermon of the three sermons on remembering Christ this Christmas, um, just to kind of refresh you where we've been, the first uh, in our series was dealing with the promise of Christmas, and we examined uh, the promise of Scripture to bring forth God in the flesh, right, unto us a a child was given, right? A child came and fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament. So we spent some time on that. And then uh, the second message, we looked at the gift of Christmas, right? A son was given. Uh, and we took some time and we, we talked about how Jesus Christ was the son of God, the son of David, the son of man, and what that meant and how he fulfilled that. And right on time, he announced that he was the fulfillment of, David, or of uh, Daniel's prophecy, uh, which also uh, facilitated his death on the cross as they sought earnestly to crucify him. And, of course, this uh, sermon focused on his deity uh, last week. And today we're focusing on the last part of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, uh, and the whole of chapter uh, 9 and verse 7, which deals with Jesus' authority. He ultimately, with all of those titles that we read there, uh, when you look at that text, he is the <clears throat> called Wonderful, Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Uh, talks about the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David to, to, to uh, order it. He, of course, is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the, the power in Christmas. He wasn't just any man. He was not just some figure in history. Right? A lot of men come and a lot of men go. But only one man was Jesus Christ, and he is God manifest in the flesh and he is in heaven at the right hand of the father he's the power of christmas and we can't recognize jesus's humanity and his birth as a child and ignore his deity and nevertheless some who are, are are gladly willing to embrace the birth of christ deny his subsequent sinless life his death his burial and his resurrection his ascension and of course uh, the coming promise of his return which in the scriptures is uh, every bit as prevalent or more prevalent than his first coming actually more prevalent and so, uh, and so he's coming again, just like he came the first time, although this time he's coming in judgment and to assume the role of the king. So we live in a time like the time of Judges. If you are a Bible student, many of you may know about Judges, maybe you don't know about Judges, but Judges is a book in the Old Testament. It came after Israel uh, got their promises, after they got their Christmas gifts, man. They got everything they wanted. They got their property. They got the government. They had a religious system. They had everything that they needed. They had a God in heaven that had them set up to actually proclaim his name across the world. And yet, uh, through apathy, just through apathy, uh, it became a, a, play, a time of uh, apostasy where they just drifted away from the promises of God. And what happens is you lose power. They lost the power that God gave them. They came into this land. It was full of giants. They were outnumbered. They were outmanned. They were, they, these people came in uh, as slaves, uh, but they, they rolled in as an army, and God viewed them as princes and kings, and he brought them in. And, man, they just cleaned house and wiped out the enemies. And God left some more for the future generations to, to you know, learn how to go to war. But in essence, he established them. He got them going. He, he gave them everything that they needed to glorify his name. But they just kind of got lazy and lethargic. And before long, you know, the tentacles of, uh, of the, those that in the, the old enemies that inhabited the land, those that were left over, those remnants, 
began to just grow over them like a vine, man. Next thing you know, they are, they're back in the cords of sin and bondage as idolatry begins to overtake them. And the next thing you know, they cannot free themselves from the oppression of the Philistines and, and the Amorites and the Ammonites and all these ites that lived around there at the time, Moabites, you know, all these folks. And so they end up having all these problems uh, and losing their power. And ultimately, it's a sad way the book ends. It ends in anarchy. And the nation of Israel actually turns on themselves because they are so just weak. They're weak-minded. Uh, morally, they're corrupt. And the next thing, you know, there's no power. Next, the, in the power that they have, they turn on themselves. They almost destroy the tribe of Benjamin. It's a sad situation. But eventually, a man shows up, and his name was David. And he believed all the promises. He believed what Caleb and, and Joshua believed. He understood what Moses said. He meditated on it. He sang about it. And he believed. He believed that God owned the property that his ancestors had received. He believed that God was well able to take care of his enemies, just as he had shown in his own personal life. And eventually God used this man to throw off the powers of the Philistines and their enemies and establish the kingdom that would, of course, eventually literally reach the nations at that time under Solomon, his son, and be a light to the world. And so we live in a time much like Judges where there's no king in America and, and everyone does that which is right in their own eyes. I don't think any of us could deny that. And obviously the United States does not need a king. Let me be clear about that. God forbid uh, we'd all, uh, none of us want a king in this country, right, other than Jesus. However, we do need Jesus as the authority to run our lives lest we allow apathy towards God's word to lead to apostasy, which ultimately produces anarchy in our lives and our families and our communities and our country and really the nations of the world that are uh, surrounding those that have the gospel and we are commanded to reach. And it doesn't matter really what nation you're in if you're a Christian. If you're in India right now uh, with our brothers over there, they're commanded to reach us just like we're commanded to reach them, right? We all go around the world. We are global. And uh, and so we, we were way ahead on the globalism thing and because Jesus gave us the gospel. And so we look for a, a city that's coming, right? We look for Jerusalem above. That's what we're focused on. However, we live in the reality of today, and, and we see the results uh, not of a failure of, of political will and a failure of economy or a failure of, of, of politicians. A lot of people, especially in churches, get mad at politicians and stuff. It's really a failure of the church to win people to Christ and make disciples. Because ultimately, we're the salt, we're the light. Uh, and our interest is not in property and, and all of that. Our interest is in souls, the word of God and the souls of men, wherever they may be. And we are the game changers because Jesus Christ left us here to be like that. I mean, that's who we are. We are the light of the world because Jesus' light lives in us. Not that we're special in of ourselves because we're not. But because of Jesus and the gift of eternal life that comes through Jesus at Christmas time, this is one time of the year where the whole world focuses on Jesus Christ and his birth. And it's a great time for us to exalt his name, to glorify who he is, and to remind people that Jesus Christ is truly God, that he is Lord, and he's the real reason that we have this celebration. It's not a pagan celebration. It's not, a, it's not about gift buying and going out and running up debt and all of that stuff. It's not just an economic driver of the economy. That's all a bunch of junk. What it's really about is a, is a real God that really is alive, that really wants to know people. And in a time of darkness today, a time of doubt, a time of confusion, man, 
What a great time for us to take Jesus, that gift of eternal life, and give him to other people. And so there's three things that, that, that haven't changed in 2,000 years. Uh, some expected the king at his first coming. Some rejected the king at his first coming. And some accepted the king at his first coming. So this morning, I would like to take the balance of our time. And uh, you should have a little handout uh, that, that was given to you at the door. And if not, anybody want one of those? They might be able to pass those around if you need one. Just stick your hand in the air and they'll get them to you. Um, but this morning, we're going we're gonna to start in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. So if you were in Isaiah, turn to Matthew 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you. And you can turn to page 1,276. If you, want, if you have one of those HBF Bibles, 1,276. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. And uh, my first point this morning for study is we consider the power of Christmas, the power of Christ uh, and, and, and what this is all about, is I want you to just realize that some expected the king. Some expected the king. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the, uh, the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east of, uh, to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. We see in this text that, that uh, obviously, that there is a king involved and, the, and there's another king involved, right? There's two kings. It's a tale of two kings. You've got one king who is on the throne, is Herod, and you've got another king that's being announced, are being talked about by these wise men that came from the east. So the wise men of the east were expecting the king, right? The wise men from the east were expecting the king. And, and I, I don't want to mess up your Christmas, but there's some things about Jesus' birth that, that pop up in culture that just simply are not biblical. Did you know that? Yeah, there's a lot of those things. First of all, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th or January 7th, if you're Orthodox. Uh, you know, uh, based on the record of Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9, <clears throat> uh, which I didn't get to that earlier, but um, I kind of read over that. But we read about the shepherds uh, earlier, and we saw that the shepherds um, were tending their flocks when Jesus was, was born, um, and, and they were. I believe the Bible is absolutely accurate about that. The problem is that would have they don't tend their flocks past October in, in Israel. It's just too cold. So, uh, and that also makes sense because of the biblical record of, uh, of Zacharias. So the window of tending sheep in the fields in Israel, um, even to this day, is going to end uh, long before uh, December. Uh, and so it's going to be October probably at the latest. So, but also we see with Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, who served in the order of Abiah, uh, the, the eighth priestly course. His rotation in the pre-cycle, according to First Chronicles 24, 6 through 9, was the tenth week. And so after he returns from his priestly duty, he and Elizabeth conceived John in mid-May to June. Um, and it's very clear that Gabriel appeared uh, to Elizabeth in the sixth month of her pregnancy to inform her of the conception uh, that was coming with Mary. In Luke chapter 1, in verse 24, the Bible says, And after those days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived and, <clears throat> and uh, hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked upon me to take away my reproach among men. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. So six months from the end of John's service, uh, and, he, uh, and, and the conception of John, 
Gabriel makes this announcement. Uh, and so uh, it's in December, uh, and Jesus' birth would have taken place around September, the month of, of Tishri, nine months from Kislev, which is obviously, well, not obviously, but is December in a Hebrew calendar, which would uh, place the birth of Christ again around September in the Hebrew month of Tishri. So that is roughly, now I, I don't know the day exactly. It's probably a good thing or we just do something crazy about it. But uh, but that's probably when he was born. So that shouldn't mess you up too much. Just a little factoid to, to throw out to help uh, us consider receiving the king because uh, it's important that we understand the truth of God's word and the accuracy of God's word because when Jesus came, these wise men came because they were reading the word of God. They weren't following traditions. They were following what God's word had said, what Daniel had revealed, and what the Old Testament scriptures had to say. And I also have to break the news that the wise men, the reason I, I started here is because the wise men were, well, they weren't at the manger scene like you see in all the pictures. You know, and, and by the way, if if you have that, we got manger scenes at our house. I mean, I, I don't want to get crazy about it. But, but technically, very clearly, Jesus was a young child when they showed up. And so uh, the Bible is pretty clear in Matthew chapter 2 in this very text. In chapter 2, if you go down to verse 11, it says, And when they were coming to the house, this is the wise men, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had <clears throat> opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being uh, warned of God in a dream that they should <clears throat> not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when, they, and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child. And we believe every word of the Bible is accurate. We believe God has preserved his word just like it says, and he was a young child, and, and take his mother, right? And flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek thee, there it is, young child, to destroy him. Herod wants to kill this and this child, and God knows that because it's actually prophesied. So, so we have men who are wise enough to understand the king's authority and to come and honor him. And of course, God understood too that that I'm sure some of that honor was going to be used of Joseph to get his family to Egypt and get them back, <clears throat> so that they could fulfill the prophecies that God had for them and, and and also save their life at the same time. So this is an amazing thing. It's truly awesome that God provided in that way. For Jesus, so uh, so we have these men who are wise and understand the king's authority, and they come to honor him. They just came to honor the king, man. That's why we we celebrate Christmas. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we come together every Sunday. That's why we get up in the morning and read our Bibles and we pray and we give our life as a living sacrifice because we want to honor yes our Lord and Savior, our King, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who has authority over our lives, but over everything. He holds the world together. We wouldn't even be on the planet. We wouldn't breathe. Our atoms would just explode. If it wasn't for God keeping everything together, we should honor him. We should praise him. We should be thankful to him. We should give him glory. Isaiah 55 says this in verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. They were looking for the Lord. Where's the Lord? Where's the king? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him. While he is near, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. Maybe you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Man, I tell you what, Jesus Christ, we just talked about it this morning. He is the love that came down from heaven. Not that we loved him, but he loved us. Those children quoted that beautifully out of First John this morning. Man, I tell you what, his thoughts are not our thoughts. And let 
Let us return unto the Lord, that he will have mercy upon him and our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. This morning, you're a wise man. You're a wise woman if you seek Jesus out and honor him as your king. You know, Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The term Lord implies he's our king. God traveled from heaven to earth to die for our sins and leaves us, and, I'm sorry, uh, and died for our sins. And the least we can do is give him our lives. So the second thing I want to see is that Joseph was expecting the king's arrival as well. In the previous chapter of Matthew chapter 1, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Verse 20 of chapter 1. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. That which thou conceivest in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. He's a savior. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God has preserved this in his word once again. We believe the word of God, that God preserved this, so we understand that Jesus Christ is not only Savior, but he is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until or till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. By the way, Jesus uh, obviously was born of, of the Father, but Joseph and Mary, after Jesus was born, later went on to have children. And Jesus had a brother. One of them's name was James. And so uh, some people teach that that was not the case either. Again, that's tradition. This is the Bible. We stick with the Bible because the Bible is true. Joseph expected the king's arrival because God told him. He told him his name. He says, His name is Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. This is your this is who Mary's bringing forth, Joseph. I'm letting you know. Joseph expected the king's arrival because the Holy Spirit confirmed the facts with him. In Isaiah chapter 7, the the the, the Bible tells us in verse 14, "Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign." Now, obviously he's talking to the nation of Israel, uh giving them a sign. We've been talking about Isaiah 9:6 and how a few weeks ago how this came to Israel. But imagine being Joseph Right, and you have this 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 connection in this dream, and 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 you hear the scripture. Now, when you read Isaiah seven fourteen, and he says, "Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign." <laughs> He's taking that personally. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. Hey, beloved, God has given us a word, just like Isaiah seven fourteen was already preserved for hundreds of years, uh, for uh, for. Uh, uh, 600 years for so that Joseph could open that thing up and see that and go, wow, man, what is going on in eternity is connected right here where I live, and I am connected to my salvation. I am connected to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, God has given us a book, and it's all written right here. It's not just something written to, quote, the church in general. It's not, although it is, it's, it's written to you personally. 
This story of Jesus is a personal situation. It's not just a religious activity. It's not just an annual thing we do. This is something that really ought to resonate with us personally. A Savior came, God with us. And in our case, if you're born again, God in us. That's a big deal. God in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. That's heavy. Like heavy as a Chevy, man. It's amazing. It's awesome. And so, man, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. He's like, that virgin is Mary. Oh, my goodness. That son is Jesus. He's Savior. And he can link the dots. Right? He knows Isaiah 9. He knows what that means. Everybody was waiting on this baby. It meant a lot, not only to him, but it meant a lot to his nation. It meant a lot to what God was doing in time. Again, going all the way back, echoing all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. When God is dealing with Satan, he's dealing with Adam, he's dealing with Eve, and he's dealing with sin. Man, what an incredible thing. The Bible says twice in the New Testament that that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. The word was established by the prophet Isaiah and the Lord himself in the life of Joseph. The humanity of Christ is is a historical fact, by the way. Paul, writing about 50 A.D. to the Corinthians in in chapter 15 and verse 6, said that there's about 500 people living 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus that confirmed that Jesus was not only born, but that he had died and risen from the dead. And so as Paul spoke before Agrippa in Acts 26, he told Festus, who accused him of being crazy, that the the king understood, this is King Agrippa, understood that, that this thing that Jesus had done, Dying on the cross and resurrecting. This was not done in a corner. Everybody knows that this happened. And 30 years after the fact, it was still widely known that Jesus did, in fact, live and die and rise again from the dead the third day and appear to his disciples and ascend in the clouds. You know, 30 years, we forget what happens. Big things happen and we forget about it. You know, about 30 years ago, a bomb went off in the World Trade Center. Yeah, many of us don't even remember that. It preceded the big bombing and the, you know, the whole raising of the buildings. But yeah, a bomb went off 30 years ago in the World Trade Center, killed six people, injured 1,000 people on February 26th of 1993, 30 years ago. It was big at the time. You know what? But nobody's talking about it today. Nobody got, I, very, I, doubt, if any, I doubt if anyone in this room got up this morning and said, man, remember 1993 when the World Trade Center got, had that bombing in the basement? Now, we don't we forget about that. But 30 years after the fact, Jesus was still resonating through the culture. And people were talking about and it was and it was happening in in front of kings, King Agrippa and Festus and leaders. And and why? Because this guy has authority. This is not just any old man. This is this is this is the God of the universe that came to this world. I mean, the king of rock has come and gone. The king of pop is dead as well. But the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is born. He's lived. He's, he lived a sinless life. He died a cruel death in our place, and he rose from the dead. And you know why we're still talking about him? Because he's still alive. Hallelujah to you. That is the big news. This this King is alive. He's not dead. So Lee Strobel, in his book The Case for Christ, addressed some contemporary scholars and historians about the veracity of Jesus's existence, and he said, compared with other ancient documents, there is an unprecedented number of New Testament manuscripts that can be dated close to the original writings. Bruce Metzger, professor emeritus at Princeton Theological Seminary, said that 
Edwin Yamachi of Miami University, said, We have better historical documentation for Jesus than for the founder of any other ancient religion. Archaeology does nothing to disprove the Bible, but instead proves the accuracy of the written word. So there was no way to reconcile the ancient people of the cities of the Book of Mormon, by the way, because they're not real. They're fantasy. But every city and people group mentioned in the Bible from antiquity not only has its basis in Scripture, but in also historical fact. And archaeology continues to unearth and confirm that week after week after week after week. I mean, like right now, we could get in a plane and go to Bethlehem. I mean, we could go back further. We can, we, all these things are absolutely locked in in history. So we don't need scholarship to confirm that Jesus' birth uh, is real. But just for the skeptics, God has removed any excuse to deny the birth of Jesus. So you've got to sit there like, like uh, Ben, uh, who's I, what's his name? Shapiro, thank you. As mentioned this one, you've got to sit like Ben Shapiro with your teeth in your mouth and say, well, it just doesn't interest me. It doesn't interest you because you don't want to be interested. God forbid Jesus says that about you. You know what? God is interested in you. That's why he became a man and died on the cross for our sins. I've got to keep moving. There's simply no question that Jesus was born and even less question that his birth was divine, making him deity by the very nature of the prophecies uh, that, that went before concerning him and their subsequent fulfillment. I got other info I'm skipping over, but if we were to do the math on it, it's literally mathematically impossible that Jesus Christ did not live. I mean, when you just do the math, it, it, is, it is a mathematical statistical impossibility that Jesus didn't live. So Simeon expected the king as well. So we saw the wise men, of course, they expected him. They were studying the scriptures. They knew where, where to find him because the Bible led them that way. That star from the east led them as they were in Jerusalem looking for the Messiah, and they found him. Simeon expected the king as well. In Luke 2, 20, uh, 25, uh, we were over in Luke chapter 2 when I read to the children. Uh, look over there real quick because I don't have that. I don't think I have that on the screen for you. Luke chapter 2 and verse 25 says this, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was uh, whose name was Simeon, and, he, and the same was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the, uh, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law, uh, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said... Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. Amen and amen. And so Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rise again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that, thy th- that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This is an incredible prophecy concerning the fulfillment of Jesus as a sign to the nation of Israel. Notice Simeon had been taught by the Holy Ghost about the coming Savior, and there's not one of us in here this morning that can take credit for understanding the mystery of Christ. For it is revealed from faith to faith as we respond to the conviction of the teaching of God's word through the Holy Spirit of God as the King of Kings is revealed to us in the form of his Son and our Savior. 
Like Simeon, the days of Jesus coming are nigh upon us. Right? Just as he was ready to come at his first coming, Simeon was waiting. So we should be waiting because God has showed us in his word that his coming is nigh. And, of course, we have to make a choice. It cannot... Uh, I cannot help but believe Simeon had calculated the number uh, numbers from Daniel 9, and he knew that the Messiah uh, would be cut off. And he understood that Israel had to make a choice. Simeon knew what time it was. Have you made your choice? In Luke chapter 2 and verse 30, he says, I have seen thy salvation. Literally, Jesus' name confirming that he is salvation. The Lord had already told jo- uh, Joseph that, and Simeon knew that as well. He is salvation. In Luke 2, 31 through 32, Simeon mentions that Jesus being a light to the Gentiles in Isaiah 42, 6 and Isaiah 49, 6. According to Luke 2, 35, this understanding not only brought Israel to a point of decision, but even to, uh, this <clears throat> but brings us to a point of decision today. Right? Once you understand that Jesus Christ is literally a human that literally lived and that he was God and he rose again and he's alive, it brings you to a point of decision have I submitted to him? Am I bowing to him? Is he my Lord? Is he my Savior? Is it personal to me as it became personal to Joseph, as it became personal to those wise men, as it became personal to Simeon? Is it personal? Man, if it's not personal, it's not powerful. It's got to be personal if you want it to be powerful. You keep going in the story, and then there's Anna. <clears throat> Anna expected the king. Anna expected the king. She was expecting this gift to her people. Look in verse 36. It goes on to say, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Aser, and she, that would be Asher. And she was of a great age, and she had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And this is a faithful woman. <clears throat> And, and she coming in that instant gave thanks and likewise uh, thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had uh, performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, uh, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Notice this faithful woman <clears throat> was nearly 100 years old. And, uh, and she was alive to see her expectation come to pass. So, uh, so she was. She's older than Dorothy, and uh, and so you're still a young woman, Dorothy. <clears throat> and she was waiting for expectation to come to pass. You know, my father and the Lord will cross. He's uh, he's uh, on hospice right now, and he's made it past his wife's birthday, and he's hopefully making it through Christmas. And uh, and then uh, his daughter's going to come on Tuesday, and I hope he gets to see her. But he's getting ready to go home. And one of the things I was just visited with him last week, and you know what he told me? He's like, Brian, I just, I just, I just wanted to make the rapture. From the time I was born again, I mean, March 25th, 1987, to this day, Earl was always saying, Brian, I just, I can't, I can't believe, he just thought for sure he was going to get in the rapture. He's going to hit the rapture. I'm going to get taken out in the rapture. And he may, he may well, amen, Kevin, that's exactly what I was thinking. He still may get there. Because we don't know when the Lord's coming. He may come today before I finish this message. Praise the Lord. I'd be happy for that. Uh, but man, I tell you what. There are people that know their Bible well enough to know what time it is. They know that it's time for Jesus to come. And they're ready and they're waiting. You know, Joe Sparks used to, Joe Sparks used to tell me, 
as he was declining. And Reed's here this morning. Hallelujah, wherever she's in. Amen. Yeah, it's good to see Reed. <clears throat> we got the senior saints in the house today, man. That's awesome. So, uh, and I don't mean that with any, I mean that with all respect, and, and uh, we should honor them. Uh, they've been here, for a, they've been here, and, and uh, you guys are like my heroes. I hope when, if the Lord tarries, I hope I'm like you guys. I'm faithful all my days. But Joe Sparks, <clears throat> and he used to tell me, um, he says, I'm not so sure I'm not going to see death. I mean, he would, he would say, I, I'm not so sure I'm going to see death is what, he's gonna, is what he would tell me. And he'd pump that fist, man. Why? Because like Earl, he was always ready. He was ready for the rapture. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to get there. We get, God can do what he wants to do. We don't know the day or the hour. But we should certainly be ready for his coming. Because of all times in history, it's time. I mean, it is time. The second day is winding down. And it is time for the, the coming of the Lord. These people like Anna and Simeon, they knew what time it was. They knew it was time for the Messiah to come. And, and it moved them. And they, they were people that set their lives apart. It doesn't mean they didn't get up and make coffee and, and have breakfast and, and go to work and, and do all those things. They did what they had to do in life to get through. But they were always waiting. And when the time came, they were ready for the Messiah. Are you ready? If the Lord were to come back today, are you ready? We need to be ready. Rapture ready. And what does that really mean? Are we ready to appear at the judgment seat of Christ? The things in our body that we're doing now are going to be judged, whether they be good or bad. The things that we do in this body are going to be judged, whether they be good or bad. Are we ready? Are we ready? Merry Christmas. Are we ready? You know? Amen. So I don't know how many times... Uh, I've thought about those men, and, uh, and, and, you know, I don't know that I'll make the rapture. I might not make it out the door today. I could drop dead of a heart attack. But you know what? We should be ready. Whether we drop dead of a heart attack, whether we die of cancer, uh, whatever it may be, we need to be ready to meet the Lord. And if you know Jesus personally, you have the power, and you'll know that you'll live for eternity. So it's amazing. i got to keep moving. <clears throat> oh, let, let me, I, gotta, I can't leave this off, though. One last thing on this point. This is the last thing. Those who, those who expect Christ and are waiting, like Anna and Simeon, you know what they did in both of those instances when they saw him? They proclaimed him. Hallelujah! The Messiah is here! I've seen salvation! This is a real deal! I have a relationship with God! And everybody's like, woo, crazy! This is the Messiah. Hey, the Sanhedrin doesn't believe it. Nobody, a lot of people don't believe it. How can he come out of Nazareth? How can he come from Galilee? How this, how that, how this, that. But Simeon believed it. Anna believed it. They knew. Joseph believed it. And of course, Mary believed it. Because it was a work that was done in her. Man, when that work gets done in you, it comes through you. And you can't help but proclaim it to everybody. Man, let's go out and be lights today. Amen? And I'm out of time, but I'm going to finish my message anyway. So let me go quick. So point two. I will be quick. Some rejected the king. Some rejected the king. Not everyone is happy with Christ being born. Even this morning, there, there are many who reject the notion that Christmas is about Christ. They reject the reality that they have been uh, created by a creator and that without him nothing exists. They are willing and ignorant to go about establishing their own righteousness and self-righteousness. For in rejecting Jesus Christ as God, they make themselves, uh, themselves God, sitting in a seat of judgment, professing themselves to be wise, and they become fools. So there's nothing new under the sun. 
Herod rejected the king, point A. Herod rejected the king. He was threatened by, his, uh, threatened by the humanity of Jesus. The wise men wanted to know where the one that was king of the Jews was located, and it just freaked him out. So that's a practical point, beloved. Just because we are wise enough to recognize Jesus as king doesn't mean that the people who are in places of power receive it. It could actually be threatening that there's a higher authority. In Matthew 2 and verse 3, the Bible says, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes. Now, do you remember what the angel said to the shepherds? We didn't read it this morning, but he said, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. He came with a good news message. He didn't come to terrorize anybody. But yet, when the news of Jesus comes, they're terrified. That's what it just says in Matthew chapter 2. In Jerusalem, they're terrified. Why Jerusalem? They weren't terrified in Bethlehem. They weren't terrified in Galilee. They're terrified in Jerusalem because that's the seat of power. And there's another man who's shown up and they said, hey, this is the king of the Jews. Man, that makes the Romans freak out. It makes the Sanhedrin freak out. Because everybody's concerned about their power. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Where's Messiah at? And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. They knew exactly where he was supposed to be born. You know, people who are willing to study prophecy to find out what's going to happen next, they simply won't submit to to the Lord of history. Politicians often are, 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 are pandering to special interest groups, willing to throw Jesus under the bus. In some cases, banning him from their kingdom and their power. But Jesus is better than that. It'll be just about as effective as Herod in the first century, saying, kill every child to and under. We're going to have to stop this right now. You cannot stop Jesus Christ. You can know about Jesus, you can not like Jesus, but you cannot stop Jesus. I know Bill and I, I mean, you watch Bill and I, the science guy. I mean, the guy just cringes every time you bring up a historical real Jesus. He's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to kill you Christians. Now, I don't think Bill and I wants to kill me, but he wouldn't mind if I went extinct, I'm telling you. So, I don't know, Bill and I, the science guy, he's fun to watch on TV, but, but, uh, <laughs> So, so Christmas can, can be so scary for some, some people in places of, of power that are willing to kill innocents in an attempt to protect their kingdom. So death came forth from Herod when he heard of the light and the life of the world that had been born. And that shouldn't surprise us because Proverbs 8.36 says, But he that, that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul, and all they that hate me love death. Is a death cult. Mark it down. Those who hate Jesus, they love death. And point B, the Jews rejected their king. Not only did Herod reject their king, but the Jews themselves. And we know that he came to his own and and his own received him not. And before I get too self-righteous, I can tell you guys, unfortunately, before I got saved, I rejected the king. He was not, you know what, he was not obligated to offer himself to me once, really. But he offered himself more than once to me. And I rejected him. I will tell you this, though. The last time he offered, the last time he made it clear to me that, Brian, I'm calling you to salvation. He made it so clear I couldn't miss it. Like with a yellow highlighter, 
I knew this. If I rejected it one more time, I was pretty sure I wasn't getting another opportunity. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, you need to obey. You need to obey. Man, the Jews, he came to his own. And in John nineteen fourteen, it says, after all of his ministry, after all of his miracles, after all the things that he said, after all the things that he did, they're like, you still can't prove it to me. Because they didn't want him to be proved. And, and it was in the, in the preparation of the Passover, in about the sixth hour, he saith unto the Jews, this is Pilate, behold your king, even a lost Gentile can see it. This is your king, Jews. What are you doing here? Behold your king. Have I beaten him sufficiently? Have I scourged him sufficiently? Have I abused him sufficiently? Look at your king. Behold your king. Look what we've done to him for you. And what did they say? Crucify him. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. We reject the king of the Bible and we go with Rome instead. We go with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We go back to bondage. We go back to being powerless. We go back to bondage because we're going to grab our little bit of power, our little tiny sliver of power, and reject the, the creator of the universe. Beloved, Christmas is about the humility of a God who would come and be born in a manger, and we can't take that. What are we going to do when we realize that he is resurrected? He is un, uh, in glory. He is he is uh, unimaginable. He is truly awesome. Oh, my goodness. We should bow down before him and receive him as the Lord of lords and the king of kings. We should glorify him because rejecting Jesus as king has eternal implications. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. But I'm just caught up in this thing because it's true. May this resonate beyond our walls. Today is the day to bow our, our knee and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And if you haven't done that, today is the day of salvation. Because the power of Christmas, man, some expected the king, some rejected the king. But man, this is the good news. Some accepted the king. Some accepted the king. I don't have time to read it, so I'm just going to talk about it. But Nicodemus, he did that. If you go back and write this reference down, John 19, 38 through 40. John, I put it in the notes there. John 19, 38 through 40. I'll just tell you the story for time's sake. Nicodemus, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's the guy. He's a leader teacher, man. He's in the group that, that is having a hard time with the authority of Jesus Christ. Yet God is doing something in his life because he personally met with Jesus. He spoke with Jesus. He heard Jesus' words and he couldn't let him go because God was working in his heart. And finally, when it's all said and done, he realizes everything that's going on is so unjust, that it is so wrong, that there is more evidence for this man being right and righteous, that being the Messiah that was prophesied. And these men that I hang with, these men that I lead, are losers. Because the law, right? They're, they're using the law to crucify the lawgiver. Shiloh has come through Judah. He probably went down to Bethlehem. He did the research. He got in the records. He figured it all out. And so he comes out of the closet. Not like everybody today coming out of the closet. I mean, he came out of the closet for Jesus. And in John 19, 38 through 40, he, he joins up with Joseph of Arimathea. And he gives Jesus a proper burial. Because he knew what was done was not just. 
I believe that he probably was a, a saved man before it was over. I, I wouldn't have been surprised if he didn't check into all the assertions of Matthew chapter 1 and found out all the details and come to know him. Have you accepted the gift of God? I mean, it's Christmas. Christmas Eve. But as many as received him, to them gave he, you know what it says? Power. Power to become the sons of God. John chapter 1 and verse 12. Even to them that believe on his name. Isn't it awesome that the God of the universe wants to give power to anybody? Red and yellow, black and white, everybody is precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. He doesn't care. He doesn't care what your color is. He doesn't care your social economic status. He doesn't care if you're rich. You can get saved if you're rich. He doesn't care if you're poor. You can get saved if you're poor. Why? Because he loves the world, and he gave his son to redeem it. He gives power to those who believe upon his name. Not a power to hurt people, not a power of death. You know what he gives? A power, to quote Huey Lewis in the news, the power of love. I'm telling you, it's the power. It's a remarkable thing. It raises Jesus from the dead. And, it, and, it, and I tell you what, it raises us from the dead. It quickens us. Christmas is not just about Jesus' humanity. If I've done anything, I hope I've done justice to that. It is about also his deity. Not to minimize his humanity. It's as awesome and incredible as his deity. It's just amazing. This humility is manifest in his humanity. But don't misunderstand it. His power is manifest in his deity. And you can believe Jesus is a human all day long, but there has to be a point where you receive him as Lord. He has to be God. And when that personal connection happens, bam, bing, the power comes on. And all the Christmas lights happen. If you don't plug it in, it's not going to happen. you got to know Jesus. So Christmas is not just about Jesus' humanity. It's about his deity. It's about his authority. And the Bible says in Philippians 2.10 that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of the things in heaven, the things in earth, and the things under the earth. And they should. That's like John 3.16 says, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. You shouldn't. And you should bow. And God is gracious because he's a loving God and he gives all men everywhere an opportunity to make a decision to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. But don't miss the, the, the quoting from Isaiah in Romans fourteen eleven says, For it is written, I live... As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. It's going to happen. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. The question isn't, are you going to give an account? It's how are you going to give an account? Are you going to believe and receive the gift of eternal life while there's opportunity? Bow the knee and confess with the mouth and say, Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. And mean it sincerely, and and just and and just know the lights come on. The Holy Spirit energy, you become quick. The Bible says you get born again, you come to life. And when that happens, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You still got your skin on, but there's something new. You got a personal relationship with Christ. 
You can be that person. How many would say today you're that person? Amen. If you know it, don't just raise your hand because you, you feel you don't want to be embarrassed. I don't mean to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to ask anybody who doesn't know. But, man, when you know it, you know it, right? Because you, you, you trusted Jesus and his word is true. And, okay. But then there's the other side of the coin. Who I almost was 30-some years ago. I mean, I was just right on the edge. March 25th, 1987, when I could have just walked away. And I still would have found myself face-to-face with deity at the great white throne judgment with no advocate, no propitiation, complete belief and understanding that everything I said and did was wrong and still bowing my knee, confessing my Lord and being cast in a lake of fire. Amen. God forbid. I wouldn't wish that. My dad used to say that about cancer. He hated cancer. He lost his mother to cancer. He died of cancer. He said, I wouldn't wish that on my enemy. You know what? God doesn't wish that on his enemies. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He said so. That's why he went to all the effort to bring his son to be a child, to identify with humanity, not only in in, in his birth, but even in his ministry, so that he could take on our sin and keep us from judgment, but you know what? He is a just God. He is holy, holy, holy. And there's one way, there's one truth, and there's one life. And that's why today we're still talking about the gift of eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord 2,000 years later because he is alive and he is powerful. And I pray today that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that, man, you would come to that point where you're just ready to bow your knee, confess with your mouth that he is Lord, it's all he needs. I mean, your life is amazing. The power, the love, and the sound mind that God will give you through his word. It'll just, it's like, boom, the world turns into HD. I mean, all of a sudden you see things from a different light. It's amazing. Amen? Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for what we've witnessed this morning with the singing and the children and all the things that have gone, transpired, the fellowship in the foyer, it's been a great time. I appreciate Mickey and all the work that she put into that and the hospitality team that helped her and all the things that have gone on. Thank you for the workers working with the children, all the work that's gone in with Vicki uh, and, the, and the kids preparing to sing and or just a lot of neat things that have transpired. Lord, you, you have just really blessed us already today. But, Lord, as we conclude, as we consider Jesus, the gift of eternal life, as we consider the real reason for Christmas, Lord, I I just want to offer the most important gift right now to anybody that may need to receive it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, if you're here this morning and, and, and this message is like resonating in your heart and you know like you know like you're standing here that Jesus Christ is calling you to be saved, man, today is the day of salvation. And I really don't want to embarrass you, but I do want to. What a day to receive Christ. What a memorable time, Christmas Eve. Would you just simply, right where you are, just raise your hand in the air. We'll come to you and help you, show you in the Bible, help pray with you so you can secure the gift of eternal life. It's a personal thing. I can't pray you through it. You've got to receive it. Is there anybody that would say, Brian, you are talking to me today. And I didn't even mean to do, I wasn't even going to do this, but I've I got to do this right now. Now is the time. The Holy Ghost is compelling me. Is there anybody at all? You're like, man, Brian, I just wanted to do Christmas. Get off of me. Anybody? 
Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? This morning is all about this. It's really all about Jesus coming into people's lives. That's what it's really about. That's the gift. Anybody else? We could wait here all day. It'd be worth it. We could wait here the rest of our lives, but I'm not going to tarry. Hey, beloved, are you encouraged in the Lord? I hope you are this morning. Man, you've got the power of Christ in you, the hope of glory. With all the distractions and all the things that are in our lives, and we all have them, I have them, you have them. Hey, let's today, let's endeavor to go out and proclaim that we know Jesus, the Savior, the power of the world. Isn't that amazing? Let's love God and love one another. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, church family that's here. Thank you for the guests that have come. Thank you for those that even now are looking in the Bible and considering eternal life and and, uh, how to receive that gift. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would just continue to work in our lives and help us to remember the reality of Christmas is about you and the power that, the Lord, you you have that you want to use us to, to get out to others, the power of your love for a lost and dying world. Oh, Lord, quicken us this morning in a fresh way. Lord, I know many of us are born again. So, Lord, I pray, God, you just renew us, wash us in your word, cleanse us this morning from all iniquity, and help prepare us for the Lord's Supper next week. As we celebrate this time of of year, Lord, I pray, God, that we'd be ready for the new year, Lord, with a heart ready for you just to to use us and and, uh, be glorified in and through us. We thank you and we praise you for Jesus, the gift of eternal life. And we ask your blessing on the reading, the hearing, and the living of your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.